Hello, it's Cornelius. The time is 6.40 p.m. Uh, I know I recorded twice today, but I've been blessed with some revitalizing energy after listening to a high vibration YouTube video by a YouTuber named Trend Genius. And he raises my vibration vibration every time I listen to his podcast um, because he's so positive and he always wants you to listen. And I think it's important for us to listen. Listen to what nature is saying to us. Listen to what the universe is beckoning us. And when you have our chakras are open, when the root chakra and the crown chakra is open, your vibration will open. You will have more sexual energy. You will have more vitality and creativity to be able to utilize all of the blessed energies that are out here in our supernal universe. Ah. I feel amazing, and I it was like a dose of um, uh, adrenaline just hit me all of a sudden, and now I feel a little bit of energy to go ahead and knock out another chapter. So, this chapter I will be reading on is called, I Can Only Serve One Master. I was once brainwashed in a militarist system that, that dictated my every move, leading leaving me with little healthy escape. I grew a hate for the army with all their traditions, rules, seeing the formalities as one dictatorial manipulative game. Basic training was extraneous and hectic, often humiliating. The experience did more damage to my self-esteem and confidence than it served to motivate me to try harder. I played the game best way I knew how and shook and jived through the madness for eight years. I did not know how I got Oh, I made it the entire way without losing my mind, but I know now the universe had me covered. Though it was not a hard decision to leave the army, I knew that I would have to depend on myself making it in New York. The authority I possessed in the military amounted to sense in the civilian world. I was a leader, a sergeant, and it was an accomplishment to have reached that level with no one's help. I wanted to inspire and develop capable soldiers to reach the level that I strove to get to. I never once misused my authority or put others down because I had more rank than them. I understood having a title and status did not always equate to power, though I always wanted to feel powerful in the world, but to use it to help people. I can only imagine the fortune I would amass every day while getting paid for it. I am grateful I was able to tolerate being in an oppressive environment for as long as I did. I believed my higher power kept my mind stable and somewhat naive till I was in a safe zone to hear him. What I thought was me doing what I wanted to do, accruing little consequences, turned out that I had never escaped the virtuous task of learning that I was not only accountable to myself, God says in Colossians 1 and 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, you were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. (laughs) I admit I stayed drunken in the entire time that I served, but thinking back, I can't remember a time other than my deployment to Afghanistan where I had much equilibrium of mind and natural vitality, being that I was away from the temptations to drink. After I returned, old habits picked up and my vitality took a hit. 
when I was not working 12-hour days in the office, I was planning where I was going to get alcohol, drink it, and recover from it. Since I never planned where I would go to get drunk, I oftentimes found myself sleeping it off in my car, which became a portable motel because I did not want to miss out on having fun, and I had little time to plan where I would crash. While stationed in Germany, if I wasn't drinking refreshing pills in a beer at one of Germany's festivals, I was hanging out with my friend Jans out drinking at a lonely bar. No matter how far I had to travel to find my next holding ground, I was an Anschlava rhythmus, a slave to the rhythm. I do not think that I would have been able to live that hard for another eight years of my life. I self-medicated as an escape of enduring all the military mess while serving. Though there were signs I needed help, the feeling never reached the surface till I got out. Then I was able to process a new purpose in life, one that involved self-reflection. I never stopped once to seriously look at my HIV status beyond realizing that I could no longer stay in the military and feel comfortable having an illness that would limit my movement. My life became restricted and I did not want to contribute it to an illness that I could not get rid of. Getting out of the armor revolved the fear of having to hide my illness from others, but it also allowed me to hide it from myself. Taking my antiviral medications was the easy part, and explaining it to my sex partners was more of a preference than an obligation. HIV became, one of, became more of a lifestyle because a high percentage of gay men in New York lived with it and no no one seemed to care in my circle. Moving to New York unleashed a hailstorm of indiscretions that was not only fully pre- present when I was HIV negative, and that is the paradox with living with HIV. Having to navigate around the confusion of being positive and gay forced me to sedate myself. I chose not to cry about it since I could not change it, Being sexually promiscuous was how I contracted HIV, although it was a blessing in disguise to get me to stop my debaucheries, yet I managed to maneuver around the harsh truth, and living in New York, I found a culture of men that normalized the illness by justifying bareback sex and party drugs as their right to sexual liberation and personal freedoms from the shackles of the world. My avoidance to deal with my illness created a desire to invite a wellspring of men into my bed. Being able to have sex whenever I wanted was my way of escaping the peril of mediocrity. But I was exposing myself to sketchy men who stole from me, then rejected me. And I allowed the disappointment to damage my self-esteem, causing unnecessary stress to where sex was reduced to an act, like going shopping. However, my unscrupulous behavior threw me in a constant state of panic, worry, fear, and fear of contradicting, of contracting other sexually transmitted diseases other than living with HIV. I realized the universe was putting me in a different space to heal, and I could not heal having no intimacy, only enjoying, and I could not heal having no intimacy only enjoying meaningless sex with insatiable insatiable men who had no respect for themselves. I also realized that I had put a lot of blame on gay men, but I was really shining the light on my own insecurities about companionship, feeling that it was beyond reach, though I felt worthy to have it. It all becomes one big mind game, a race to get to the more 
get as many men in the, as in the shortest time, relying on men to do for me what I can do for myself. I never once blamed the world for my diagnoses, thinking of it as my undoing, a mistake I took full responsibility for. I conducted an in, I conducted an intake with an HIV services at the LGBT center on 13th Street. I figured if I was going to face all of my demons. I might as well face the fact that I've been taking toxic medications for the last four years and not relying on myself to understand the convention of what that meant. I realized that my ambivalence grew out of a fear of opprobrium, opprobrium that I never wanted to acknowledge that I never knew who passed the virus to me. So I forgot HIV like I forgot the men that I slept with. And this detachment prevented what would otherwise have created a noxious attack of undeserving anxieties that could only throw more fuel on the fire. I was now beginning to smother some of the fire. Yes, I would have to take medications for the rest of my life, but I dared not see it as another oppression. How could I maintain my sense of freedom when life was all about putting out the flames of my past, seeing no ashes in the fire? But I have been smothering something that needs to keep burning. Is smothering the fire causing the backdraft of self-defeating habits, obstructing the path to my happiness? Life, like fire, maybe I need to allow those maladaptive habits to run its course and burn out naturally and stop disrupting God's natural plan for my life. In other words, not to be so in a hurry to fix a problem that I was not ready to fix, as it only delays the process. In the book of James 1 and 4, God says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. I needed first to face why I was not owning up to my behavior, seeing it as another pill that I had to swallow that would eventually kill me anyway. I never considered myself the most pious and frankly, the way I was living, God could have been as relevant as a bunny on a tricks box. Yet I admit I was a mess. My thoughts and desires and pursuits were only circulated, only curtailed to satisfy my immediate need. Every possible distraction I had, I used. And because of my distractions, I feel that I did not utilize my time on active duty the most effectively. I do not regret enlisting, but I sometimes wonder how far alone I would have been in service had I taken my health seriously. Fortunately, I learned of my status two years prior of my contract ending, and this solidified the choice not to re-enlist. The devil made every attempt to destroy me, first exposing me to crackheads, then HIV missed me back then, only to circle around and catch me up to me now. Honestly, I always knew this lifestyle would give me HIV, and I was being protected long enough to get me through my 20s and an eight-year military career. Then, in 2013, I was in a place in my life where I was ready to change, so maybe God allowed this illness to force me out of the army so I would find my true calling. I now feel having this illness was a part of my healing process, and I needed to face it at once some point. I didn't have no one to turn to in the military, keeping it mostly a secret, only revealing it to my chain of command and whoever they told was none of my concern. But for the most part, I never had complications with it, so I was allowed to continue performing my duties.
Obama signed a legislation list uh, to to list HIV as a service connected illness. So I would have been allowed to remain in the army, but I felt in my heart that it was time to make my exit. I had already completed my deployment, had lived in Germany and was promoted to sergeant. So I felt I had reached my professional goals. The only thing left was to go back to school and earn a degree. I had never intended to be a sergeant because I never wanted the responsibility, but something forced a desire in me, and I suddenly wanted to ele- elevate myself. I had no idea that there were deeper implications to this decision, but I am glad I listened to my gut. Upon making the rank of sergeant, I thought I would finally be relevant in my, to my peers, but that respect never came. I was hardly chosen to train soldiers on training day. I would have liked to be more engaged and validated, but I was too shy and timid to speak up, though I was clearly being ignored. Above everything, I regret not being fearless the most, not being confident to show that I was competent by proving my expertise and leadership abilities. The other soldiers never treated me out of character, but I would still need to prove myself ever, even after I had made the rank of sergeant. The rank I had limited the dis- the rank I had limited the disrespect considerably and restrained a lot of the sidebar comments that were usually made at me, allowing space between my subordinates as they thought twice before popping off something crazy to me, and I had the authority to discipline them formally. However, I was not completely comfortable with leadership and found it increasingly difficult to navigate the many personalities that fell under my charge. I guess I was not as confident as I thought I was, and before I knew it, I was faced with my own demons and scars. That is the funny thing about life. You never know how good something is until it's gone. Well, what was finally gone was the military, and what was gone out of was my life, for good. Sometimes I come back, I come home, and I look at all that I have built for myself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get through it. Sometimes I come home and I look at all that I have built for myself and I feel completely comfortable and safe in the Bronx. And I wonder to myself, when will the day come when I'm on the brink of losing it all? The black cloud always seems to reappear and lure over me. After I've had some days of clear skies, I'm always... Shit. Damn it. I'm just trying to get through it. Get through it. Be strong. Be strong. You made it over the hump, Cornelius. You're everything you want to be now. Be strong. Empower yourself. And use this as a strength.
because it has made you who you are. You're everything you want to be. Your love, your compassion, your loving, and the army can never hurt you again. You're so far removed from it. You're safe now. And the smoke has cleared. Now get up and keep reading. I am always looking over my shoulders for the next disaster. I'm constantly thinking of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas of life. And I think this hinders me from being creative and allowing myself to think outside the box. The rough patches while in the army set up my insecurities within me from fear of being unjustly, unjustly persecuted. Soldiers were ruthlessly, ruthlessly vindictive and would throw each other under the bus if they thought they could get ahead by knocking another soldier over the head to get their way. There were mixed emotions over my leadership style and it created tensions among my subordinates to where some would lie on me to get me in trouble. I did have respect for one soldier because he was African and Muslim, but he turned on me, accusing me of sexually harassing and claiming that I touched his soldier in his shoulder improperly. I was done with him after that and to think he claimed to be religious and a God-fearing man that lied on me to ruin, to ruin my career. I was only six months from my discharge out of the army when I had the disagreement with him over about his work performance. He did not like the way that I spoke to him, so he went to the chain of command and told him that I had touched his shoulder inappropriately. He accused me of violating his space and filed an equal opportunities complaint against me, stating that he did not feel comfortable working in the same section as I, and I wanted to, and wanted a transfer. He was an it was a bold-faced lie, but I was so done with the army and soldiers, I did not blow up over it, but allowed him to move sections because it was my only chance to have peace. This accusation triggered me because this was not the first time that I had been accused of sexual misconduct. When I was 23 and still living at home, my sister came into the house and informed me that my nephew, who was five at the time, had talked to some people about me touching him in the private area. The daycare manager, where he went to school, brought in caseworkers to question him. I only met the daycare manager a couple of times in passing when she brought him home from daycare. She recognized my mannerisms and projected her own idea about my relationship with my nephew having no verifiable evidence to support her claim. This brought up a lot of trauma from my own molestation, but I never knew how to process my emotions at the time because I had learned to bury them because I was on my own, because of my own abuse. I went personally to that evil daycare worker and told her that she was doing an evil deed when she lied on me and I was beyond reproach. And I stepped to her face and told her that if she did not retract her accusations, karma would come back on her and bite her in the ass. After a couple of weeks, I had to see an investigator and answer some questions, but I never heard anything about the case after that. Though I was cleared, my mother felt that it was best that I had moved out because it looked bad that I still hung around my nephew when the case was still fresh. So I did, I, I did move out and I was homeless for two weeks, sleeping in my car. 
I worked two jobs, so I was not in the car the whole time. And soon after I moved into my first apartment. However, those nights in my car were very hard because in the back of my mind, though my mom and sister said that they they didn't believe, never said they believed the accusations. They never said that they didn't. And that was the most hurtful part of it. I cried myself to sleep, sleeping in the back seat of my Chevy Cavalier, going to work, trying not to think about my hurt. All these past hurts were the reason that I had misplaced my feelings about black women and Africans. I have been lied on by so many black people who tried to destroy me and break my self-esteem. Going into social work seemed like a purpose to help those who also knew the sting of hurt and pain. My life had been a series of transformations, but the change that I was experiencing now seemed to be more spiritual because I had never thought of the nature of God as intensely as I have now. I now know that my life was structured in a way to give me no option but to run to God because he knew there would be a come a time that I would need to feel joy and love that only comes from loving oneself. I was finally allowed to have full control over my perceptions in a world that is rift with ugly images of the wrong way to live. I can carve out the right way. Learning to define myself feels better than sex, drugs, power, status, or anything that money can buy. I was determined not to be consumed by the machine and devoured alive forever in defilement of someone's view of me simply because I was gay for all I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but no one deserved to have their character desecrated as mine has I allowed myself to go into a bar but I didn't intend to drink but at the night's progress I was wasn't enjoying myself so I ordered a Heineken to loosen up but it didn't taste as good as I had remembered it I did not finish it so I placed it on the bar and left feeling irritable the entire way home. I reasoned perhaps I was changing and the old thing that I used to do did not work anymore. I even had the inclination to chill on sex till I could clearly define what it was that I needed from a man besides his body. If I did not deal with this now, I would be dealing with it in my 40s and possibly in my 50s. I felt annoyed after all the work that I had put into changing my karma, spending two hours each day chanting in hopes of attracting someone more pleasant to be around but nothing was working and i was finding myself growing annoyed misunderstood and back to the same disgruntled state that only accompanied misery with it sitting on the train heading home i could not figure out what was bringing on this overwhelming feeling of needing to separate from the gay scene i feel it no longer gives me the gratification that it once had I avoided engaging gay gays at the bar because they were obsessive drunks like me who come out to get lost in their own intoxication. Then they start getting loud, clownish, distasteful, and abrasively rude. I did not know when the next time I would go out because I was no longer enjoying the gay vibe and that was reason enough to stay out the bar. Not drinking heavily had put a wet rag on my life. I had created no other personality other than that gregarious drunk that, and now I did not know myself anymore. It felt as if I was experiencing a death within myself, and a part of me yearned for that familiar person that could get lost in the crowd and booze and enjoy myself. 
I went to Union Square and spotted Priscilla, the oracle, sitting at the fountain. She offered me a reading, so I sat down and listened to her reveal life to me. She pulled the new birth card and urged me to have fun and play with life. She explained new birth signifies a new beginning, personal growth, and maturity, and it will happen whether I like it or not. She said that I would begin to take charge in matters in my life and will begin naturally separating myself from people with lower vibrations. She told me that I was going through an initiation, which required me to focus and listen to the universe as it will speak to me through the heart. She revealed my doings are not my doings and God's moves me in places that I am supposed to be, but I must follow my heart so that I know that it's God talking to me. She saw my energy being burnt, having a lot of oppression around me. So by using the magic of writing, taking a second to write down what I want will allow God to see it so he can heal it. Maya Angelou wrote, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold truth inside you. I felt good about moving forward, but I knew that it was only a reassuring moment, and soon problems would overshadow divine judgment, which appeared not to be working in my favor. I went home and took a hard look at myself in the mirror and thought, how am I still single? I'm handsome, intelligent, educated, and self-sufficient, yet I am wandering around stuck in my head like a madman, acting like a recluse. I was running out of marijuana, so I decided to block my weed dealer and delete my number and delete his number, feeling that I could get past this lonely feeling without needing to escape. I know the universe desires this correction, but it's my crate but it is what's crazy for me learning to navigate this change effectively and rationally. Patience was of the essence, so I determined to continue trusting my higher power and continuing going to AA meetings, and eventually things would fall into place. I received a call from my psychiatrist at the Veterans Affairs who scheduled an appointment to see me. While there, she conducted an initial assessment, making her conclusion that I probably needed something for my impulsivity. She explained that the medication she would prescribe would not affect my sexual functions because I specifically did not want that to happen. So I agreed to go with her with suggestion and I wanted to be monogamous, not dead. And if taking medication can lower my libido enough so that I can have control over my sexual urges, then so be it. <laughs> and that's the end of that travel, <laughs> that chapter. Thank you so much for listening. This is a very hard chapter to get through. I didn't even realize I was still dealing with emotional scars from the military. But that lets you know that it's the importance of writing things down. So you can always go back to it and reflect on it and deal with new emotions every time you go back to read that truth. Because it's a part of your healing. And I really encourage the power of writing. Have a great evening, and I will be speaking to you in the next segment. Ta-ta!